0: hello and welcome to another sports next door podcast my name is owen today is friday april 16th and i am joined as i always am by my neighbor max
1: how's it going my friend as i was telling you off air just before a little frazzled had a very impulsive week and decided to move to montreal basically on a dime after a call with some friends so there's been a lot of logistical makings and then oh shit moments going on this week and uh changes in the air which is not something I've said once on this podcast I think
0: yeah well we had moving day at the masters last weekend and for those of you who don't know what that is that's when they uh, start moving the the pins around throughout the tournament and making it more difficult on the players so then we got moving day coming up this weekend for us and and not in the sports world so it's gonna be a busy weekend yeah i'm getting the keys to my place in london today and start moving stuff tomorrow should be hectic um and
1: yeah we might have a
0: couple different zoom backgrounds
1: (laughs) yeah for the the next time this pod goes we'll have to go all in on like figuring out poster placement and maybe get like a canadian flag hanging moving to montreal so gotta bring my leafs jersey Yes, of course. Uh, maybe I got to start putting my
0: jerseys up. I don't know if my girlfriend will be too happy with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're getting a two bedroom, eh? So just take over one in the bedroom. It's my <laughs> recording room.
0: Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I don't know what the layout looks like exactly yet, but I uh, have to figure out a, a podcast area. Definitely.
1: Yeah, def- looking at uh, places, ones with like desks and such are getting a little bit of a bonus stock rise for that yeah yeah
0: it's a busy
1: weekend for us and it's been a busy week
0: for us because we had a lot of this is probably the most toronto sports action we've had in a long time uh and of course i love every second of it uh especially someone who consumes baseball and soccer more so and uh we had three leafs games this week Plus, we got uh, probably, I think they're probably going to, so no game against Vancouver tomorrow night, but I think they're going to do back-to-back against the Canucks Sunday, Monday, even though that's not what's scheduled right now. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, then we had two wraps games this week, plus we got one coming up tonight and then one on Sunday. Uh, Jays, of course, are playing every single day because <laughs> it's baseball, and then TFC Uh, with their CONCACAF Champions League match on Wednesday and kicking off their season tomorrow night. So um, a big week in Toronto sports, and we are here to break it all down, beginning with hockey. And before we get to the Leafs, we will start with the NHL trade deadline. I'm not going to go through every move because for most of it, it was a lot of smaller fringe moves. Uh, I think the big trade that I want to start with that maybe you have some thoughts on, Max, is uh, the Washington Capitals acquiring forward Anthony Manta from the Red Wings in exchange for Jacob Verana, Richard Panic, a 2021 first round pick and a 2022 second round pick. It, a massive move right at, or it came in at like 330, but just a massive panic move. It seemed like by the Capitals after Pittsburgh and Boston had made some big moves uh, earlier on in, in, in the weekend.
1: I see what you did there. Panic move. Yeah, it's a it's a surprising trade in a lot of ways that you really almost never see a playoff contender make. I mean, on one hand, you don't see guys in Mantha's age group and contract position get moved really ever. And on the other hand, the assets they're moving for a Panic are the sorts GMs love to have come playoff run that you can't get enough of like cheap veterans who are going to give you great bang for your buck and depth scoring come playoff so it's really interesting to see like just an approach that's cut from a different cloth than what we usually see. And it, I mean, it gives the Capitals one of the best forward cores in the league. You Ovechkin, Ovi, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, you add Mantha to that and you're one top six forward away from probably the most deep talent-filled top six in the league. So, going to be interesting, but they're going to be missing some depth, so... Yeah. And,
0: and so it's interesting. The way I saw this trade is first of all, Washington gave up a ton like congratulations to Steve Eiserman for getting an absolute haul compared to everyone else at this deadline, not necessarily getting that first round pick or a couple of picks that they really needed. Uh, I think Columbus is the other team that made out really well getting two first one in the Savard deal, one in the Felino deal. Uh, but the red wings, of course, I guess what they see is Anthony Manta is just a little bit too old. They're really looking long-term for this team. I think by the end of his contract, he's going to be 30. And I think that's when they're entering their window. So I guess they just feel like in terms of core, core pieces, he's not on that same timeline so they can afford to give him up. They get back Jacob Vrana, who's a couple of years younger. Uh, I think he's an RFA at the end of this season. So definitely more, negotiation power with how they want maybe they can get a little bit of a cheaper contract instead of uh mantha's deal and then of course you get the picks which is what you really want uh when you're detroit and you're rebuilding and then on washington side a lot of people were scratching their heads because Verena is a great player great young player they have on their team which is something that washington doesn't have a lot of because they've been contending for so many years and uh what I've heard and, and what I see here is, is what they're getting with the Mantha deal is cap cap certainty. So with Verana you have to re-sign him in the offseason. You don't know how much that's going to be. Could actually be more than Mantha's deal. And also, low-key, Alex Ovechkin is up at the end of the season. And they're going to have to sign him. And it's going to be a lot of money. And it's going to be a contract that is uh, heavily dependent on what the cap looks like around the rest of the team. And so if you have kind of Ovechkin and Vrana both kind of uncertainty in how much you got to pay them in this uncertain time that we live in, uh, I think they were like, okay, we'll take Mantha. He's really solid. He helps us win now. And now we know what we have to fit Ovechkin into. Uh, And so for them, that was the value there still felt like they gave up a little bit too much, uh, but good job by Detroit for managing to swing a, a pretty big haul for a, a solid core guy uh, that the caps can use on their run and definitely matching up with a, a the Jeff Carter move and the Taylor Hall move from their uh, division rivals and the Zajac uh, Palmieri move that the Islanders made a little bit earlier on. Uh, the next move, I guess we can talk about the, the, there are a couple other decent sized moves. I think the one that, surprised me the most besides from the Manta deal uh was just uh, theo flurry getting or hayden flurry pardon me getting moved from the carolina hurricanes in exchange for defenseman yanni Hakanpa and sixth round pick in the 2022 draft um felt a little bizarre like of course the ducks had just moved out uh i believe it was gustavson or goodbranson one of them played for the ducks uh and Hayden Fleury, a guy on the contending Carolina Hurricanes. And I'm just not sure why you're moving. It's kind of like if the Leafs moved Dermot for prospects right now. So it just feels weird that they're moving a piece in their defense core. The reasoning I heard behind it is everyone's thinking about this expansion draft coming up this summer. And so that's probably the guy Seattle would have taken. Uh, And I guess Carolina is confident enough in their defensive depth that they were willing to give up uh flurry and get just a little bit of capital back rather than lose him for nothing this summer. But if you're going for a cup, you just kind of keep your guys and then hopefully things fall where
1: they may. Yeah. It shows the confidence isn't too high about that cap run or cup run because <laughs> it's worth it. If you can win the cup, whatever happens. So, I mean, you look back at uh, Pittsburgh before the Vegas, expansion knowing that like flurry was probably gonna go but saying like we we can't give up on the certainty for this cup run and that ended up being the right move at the time if i'm getting my years right
0: yeah definitely something to follow as we're getting closer to draft season in the nba and the nfl but also a really fun exciting expansion draft uh coming up and and it it was, it took over the world when Vegas did it a couple of years ago. It was all the rage on Chell 21 or whatever the year game was to, to do that. And now we've got a new one and it'll be interesting to see what the lesson, what lessons have been learned by GMs. Cause Vegas just got an absolute treasure trove of assets and managed to pluck these incredible uh, underused stars off of teams and, so it'll be really, really fascinating to see if Seattle has that same sort of success or uh, if, if things have, will be different this time.
1: Yeah, that was a total uh, flipping of conventional wisdom on what an expansion draft is and produces. And it, I'm going to be really curious to see just as a like experiment on, is that just a freak occurrence of like excellent management and a bit of luck or have analytics and like underused guys become such a prominent thing and chemistry and the skill gaps are way different than we think they actually are that you can build a contending team essentially from scratch. Uh, certain franchises is going to be in scrambles if the, that is true. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, and yeah, <laughs> I don't have much more to say about that, but we will move on uh, to the Leafs moves at the deadline, the last couple of peripheral moves really squeezing in that that cap crunch here at the end. Uh, they acquired defenseman Ben Hutton from Anaheim for a fifth round pick in 2022, and then they get forward anti Sumella uh, from the San Jose Sharks for Alexander Barabanov. And that move purely uh, for me is they move Barabanov because he now knows he's not going to get any playing time on this new look Leafs roster and. Uh, In order to please the agent, make sure that you have all the other international players knowing that we will help serve your best interests, they move him to a place where he's going to get playing time, uh, looks good on the Leafs organization to give the guy what he wants uh, for future international signings, and and banov hopefully has more opportunity on the Sharks, uh, and hopefully he gets his first NHL goal there, that would be cool. Uh, And yeah, they pick up anti Sumella. I think he's got four career NHL goals. He might get a bit of action, especially based off last night with uh, Nylander and Matthews not in the lineup. We saw a little bit of Adam Brooks. So we could see down the line if there's a couple more injuries, Sumella could could get a spot and see what he can do. But a peripheral move. um, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on either of these deals.
1: Yeah, I mean, we called for a depth defenseman, and that would make... Keefe's or Dubas's work done having addressed every position mm-hmm. that's what he did so love to see that um man I had the TSN they were hyping up their trade deadline show for like months in advance and it was fun it was um, like man it's crazy they have like all their guys doing a like nine hour show, a lot of them in the studio, a lot of them in the COVID age doing Zoom. But like those guys all have great chemistry and they get to be a little more off the cuff, a little more loose, a, a less like practiced talk, rehearsed talking points, and a little more on the fly. There was a funny moment when uh, Sumella got trade got announced and uh, Jeff O'Neill was just like, Yeah, I've got no idea who that is. <laughs>
0: wow Uh, yeah it the trade deadline is definitely a place where the core hockey fans enjoy it but if you're not like super up to date on every team there's gonna be a lot of moves where you're just left going what is is this significant what is the point of this yeah definitely a couple names in there that i wasn't
1: familiar with yeah and things like The reasoning behind the Vrana for Mantha only come out later. So you've got to like on the spot hear about this and speculate why would they do that? And that wasn't in the forecast, wasn't in the horizon at all. It's like, huh. So you don't get the most correct reactions, but you definitely get some fun ones. Yeah. So I guess the last thing
0: about the trade deadline, uh, just as a Leafs fan, what would you grade the trade deadline for the Leafs based on all the moves they made and kind of the checklist they had going in
1: man I mean they checked all the boxes but that's never been the issue with this Leafs team That they often make moves that seem like they make sense in the present and they don't work out so I, I don't like I guess you give them a B plus because they did everything they were supposed to within expectations, and it seems solid, but you can't say how it worked out until it works out. I, the Riddick move is the one that I would give the most props to, just in terms of that really makes sense. I, I addressed my ish- er, questions about the Felino trade like with the fact that a deep first round pick is probably worth more this year than it's going to be with any other year, knowing that the scouting is going to be off and it's going to be a bit more of a uh, crab shoot for prospects. So we'll see what Felino brings to the team. We'll And we'll see how this team performs come playoff time. Yeah, I don't know. How about you?
0: I think I would just bump it up to an A-minus. <laughs> based on the cap shenaniganery that they had that had to be done, the bit of the cap gymnastics, uh done by Kyle Dubis and his advisor Brendan Pritham, who's gotten a lot of name recently because of he is kind of the ideas guy behind how they're managed to squeak people on LTIR, move things around, call random guys up throughout the year. Like uh yeah, just some guys who have been called up this season to meet certain cap requirements that never sniff the ice just really interesting to see how they move them up and down so managing to hit that checklist like get a leadership guy who can jump up and down the lineup get a depth defenseman get a depth goalie uh get another forward right all of those moves without giving up anyone from your actual roster I guess besides Barabanov but he is very expendable to do all of that and fit it under this cap which they are so tight up against Like, just really, really impressive to me that they were able to do a lot of that and figure out how to get things done uh, without really giving up anything, in my opinion. Like, all these draft picks mean nothing. If this team even gets to, like, the third round, draft picks mean nothing. Like, throw them out the door. I don't care. Yeah. So, yeah, I was impressed. And it's got to be up in the A range for me just because of how they exceeded the expectations and stayed under the cap. So probably around an A-. minus. All right. A couple more uh, Leafs news before we wrap this section. Uh, they officially signed their first-round pick from 2020, Rodion Amirov, to an entry-level deal. Uh, the KHL season just ended, so he is uh, eligible to play in the NHL. He won't be eligible to play in the playoffs now because he has been signed after the trade deadline. Uh, but he will get some work probably with the Marlies this season, which will be good. Uh, and there is a clause in his contract that he will work uh, with the Marlies and then with the Leafs development staff, and then he will most likely go back to the KHL next season uh, and can be, of course, recalled whenever, but most likely will be another season in the KHL for him, uh, but gets to spend more time with the Leafs staff than I guess you would could say for some of the other international players. Uh, He has this opportunity now to work with the Marlies, work with the Leafs development staff, get to know the system uh, and exciting for the kid to uh, possibly be a part of the future. He's only 19. He looks so, so young in this picture here and uh, people are really excited to see what he can do. And maybe it's a, uh, another exciting piece that you can add to the depth, maybe like a Nick Robertson type uh, of the future. So Yeah, there's some news there. Uh, We've also got Matthews missing last night's game and he was day-to-day with an injury. Sheldon Keefe said it was not the same injury as the wrist injury, which sets off alarm bells, uh, but also the fact that it's day-to-day maybe gives you a little bit of breath and and the Leafs are in a little bit of a buffer zone where they can afford to rest guys. Um, They get tonight off they get tomorrow off now with the Canucks being postponed just a couple more days so they get practice time uh and it'll be right back on the horse for for the big stretch because they've got three more games left against the Winnipeg Jets uh which is their closest adversary in the standings um the last thing I would say just wrapping up last night's game uh Missing Austin and, and Willie really has a big impact on this team. But the biggest thing is just the power play continues to be horrid. I think they're one for 40, their last 42 now. um, Just like terrifyingly bad and, and really inexplicably bad. Uh, and you just got to hope and pray that it's one of those things where they're going to start the upswing just around playoff time. And then they'll just have a red hot power play. Uh, in playoff time, because it, it needs to turn around quickly. Uh, they cannot continue to win five on five and expect to win more games.
1: Well, it's this vicious cycle where teams know how unconfident and shaky they are on the power play right now. So they're able to play way more aggressive on the penalty kill. Like there was a moment in the five on three last night where all three jets were in the corner hunting for the puck. That means you've got like three guys wide open like on the blue line in the slot and you've got you've only got a split second to make that pass because the defense is way ramped up but the defenses are playing so aggressive and pinning us down and out battling us on the boards for pucks and They're giving up opportunities when they do that. Like most penalty kills are not going to play that aggressive, especially not against a team like the Leafs that have so many great goal scorers. But when you have that puck and you've got two guys coming for you and you don't have that confidence to make that perfect pass in half a second and set up the guy they're leaving wide open in the slot or like get it to the blue line where they're making space to start attacking the holes that the aggressiveness is presenting, You just get stuck in the corner and have to reset again and again. And it's a vicious cycle because in order to make that pass, you need the confidence that comes from a successful power play. But yeah, so it's it feels like they've got to be perfect. I mean, Galchenyuk hitting a post, it's... It does feel a little cursed. Like just anything that can go wrong is going wrong. They've given up more shorthanded goals on their power play than they've scored in that 42-game stretch, which is just embarrassing. Um, But man, I the thing bugging me or like noodling my mind the most is where is William Nylander? Like have you heard that he has COVID?
0: No, so what I just learned now or what I've figured out, it seems like, is uh, his close contact protocols say he has to take seven days. So he's coming back today. Today is the day that he's okay. back. Um, it's been nine even though days. but nine he has days. come back negative every single day. It's just that, that protocol dictates that he had to take the week. Um, and so it sucks that he's missed that time. Uh, and the Leafs have I think they're now they were one, two, and one in that stretch., uh, so for the boomers out there, maybe Willie's a little bit more important than than you would like to admit. Uh, but he should be back for the next games. Uh, I believe today's the last like the day that he can join the team and and begin practicing. So I guess the what you can take away from it is he's got a week of rest which is probably good this time of year. And hopefully he'll come back super fresh uh, and wheeling and dealing. And it might be a big uh, add to the power play that's been struggling.
1: Yeah. I mean, one go- more goal <laughs> score, you hope. Tavares has been red hot this week. So it'll be really interesting to see, yeah. I guess, what Keith does because he looked great playing uh, that top line looked great. But- Marner and Galchenyuk, you can't break up Matthews Marner. Yeah. Um.
0: And, and what I would say is it, it feels like Marner is the driving force for these guys. Like, if you just seem to put either of them with him and they are just instantly elevated, it just shows how incredible this kid is. Um, and, like, last night they showed the stat. He, is the, he has the most points through the first five seasons of any Leaf ever, which is just ridiculous. Uh, I mean, there's not, like, a ton of – all-time score names on the Leafs list, uh, but definitely like really, really cool. And he's still caught quite a bit of season left to maybe extend that lead on the record. So uh, yeah, Mitch Marner seems to be driving that line quite a bit and just happy that Tavares is getting the production. Cause he's been pretty solid all year. Obviously he can look a little bit quiet when you've got the other guys buzzing around him because he's just not as quick as some of these other kids. Uh, but he's been really solid all year. And it's nice that he's getting some of the production now. And Galchenyuk getting a goal last night
1: was really big too for him. Yeah. And that's a huge part of the Felino trade, right? The confidence that Galchenyuk is going to be able to be a consistent top sk- six scoring forward for us. So that's huge to see that gamble not pay off, but some signs of promise in life. Absolutely.
0: All right, the last couple things I want to talk about was the Flames kicking off a good start to their absolutely, uh, this is their last chance, all these games coming up against Montreal, and they kick it off. They beat the Leafs, of course, on Tuesday, and then they beat Montreal in regulation, which is the super key uh, bit of these wins that they're going to have to get, is you cannot let Montreal even get any points out of these games, Uh, and, and a little bit of life now. The lifeline has been restored for the Flames because we cast them off a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's still a chance. Obviously, it's it's not the biggest chance,
1: but there's still a chance, and this is it for them. Yeah, it's going to take more consistency than they've shown at any point in this season so far to clinch that playoff berth, which you can't count on. I mean, like Monaghan, Goudreau, Lindholm, Chikak just uh, – Markstrom just haven't been shown that level of consistency throughout this season but back against the wall you never know what's going to happen and it comes with a bit of a slump from the Canadians too I mean they picked up that one win against the Leafs but other than that they've not been playing well at all so they play again tonight it's going to be real tone setting and get real interesting if the flames can win what the flames have the chance to do is essentially put things even because montreal still has i Mm. think three games in hand on them Mm. and then it just becomes a race against who can maintain a better record against all the other teams Um, so hoping for a good (laughs) storyline there
0: yes definitely the last thing i want to touch on uh apologize to Buffalo Sabres management. They were right. Uh, they, have, they are the best management in the league. Anders Bjork, of course, is outscoring Taylor Hall by 300%. Uh, <laughs> he has three points this week. Taylor Hall has one goal for the Boston Bruins, and therefore all Buffalo Sabres slander uh, is negated. They are doing nothing wrong and uh, great direction of the franchise. You're that doing- is all. Keep it up. Yeah all right we'll take a quick break come back for some combat corner all right we've got ufc fight night coming up this saturday uh it will be your last night um in toronto getting to watch ufc for quite a while and uh then you'll be moving on but first let's hear that preview of what you got for us uh this weekend
1: yeah a fight two years in the making uh Kelvin Gaslam versus Robert Whittaker. This fight was supposed to happen for the middleweight title two years back in Australia with Whittaker having to pull out the day of or the day before within like 50 hours of the fight after weigh-ins due to an emergency hospitalization. So you've got to feel so bad for Gaslam, how that played out. And then he was one round away from getting that title shot. Is he stole it from him isn't the right word beat it from him maybe is and he had a tough run from there started to turn things around with his last matchup against ian heinish which was huge just for the legacy and considerations of gaslam because like i was saying before that fight he didn't have any wins over top 15 contenders under the age of 35 so Going up against like a prime athletic age middleweight and outskilling them was really important for the stock and considerations of Kelvin Gaslam and now he gets a chance to continue that momentum by going up against Robert Whitaker, who I and I think a lot of people consider the number one contender at the middleweight division. Injuries, I think, is going to be a big part of the segment later when we get more into the NBA stuff, which almost has me a little reassured, gratified, because I was kind of sulking this week, like, man, MMA is such a frustrating sport for injuries. We had last week's main card or main event getting taken away with Till having to pull out weeks before. Whitaker is supposed to go up against Costa. Costa had to pull out. Um, This isn't as good of a matchup it doesn't do as much for whitaker but still a fun one like i said whitaker i think is the deserving number one contender he should have gotten a shot after that cannoneer win but he has to go out and get one more win and it's kind of a chance for him to put on a showcase i mean the one month notice of that this fight means there isn't a full fight camp of game planning and practicing and getting certain motions down to an automated state but having had that fight camp two years before which they did the ultimate fighter so Gaslam been on Whitaker's radar for a long time and vice versa which definitely makes it interesting Whitaker a really tactical guy and i do think for the most part he should have this fight in the bag and a chance to just put on a showcase against Gaslam because he's just that elite a fighter the number one middleweight contender. One thing that I think doesn't show up like in judges scoring and maybe get considered after the fights is he's managed to inflict two injuries on his last two opponents that really helped him win the fight uh, against Darren Till in that five round like chess match of a kickboxing contest. Um, Whitaker in the second, third round landed one of those stomping keep kicks on Till's knee and really damaged the mobility of Till. I don't think it ended up being like an ACL tear like some people thought, but Till couldn't really move for the latter half of that fight. And that was a huge part in Whitaker taking those later rounds. And then against Cannoneer, he um, like broke the arm or like made an indent fracture with a high kick when cannoneer was trying to block i mean those high kicks were money for whitaker all night he managed to he was constantly throwing them so quickly he throw a one two and then like whip a high kick in there right behind it and cannoneer had to be sharp on that all night and eventually one snuck through wobbled him and whitaker almost put him away but i'll be curious to see if he can continue that streak of uh not scored, but very useful injuries and damage inflicted on opponents. The reason I feel like Whitaker has this in the bag for the most part though is kind of the same thing I was saying about the last Gaslam fight where I think Till just put out this really straightforward, easy to follow, uh, highlighting Gaslam's strengths and weaknesses game plan against him where at distance Gaslam didn't have too much Till did fight as a southpaw. Whitaker is an orthodox, so that's a little different. But he managed to really neutralize the hooks and the in-close striking by clinching up Gastelum. And Whitaker, like I said, just such a tactical guy. It's, I feel like he'll be able to take that game plan. He's so good at range. His reflexes are phenomenal. He keeps his hands so low. But manages to get a read on the striking. And... Stay out of danger. Those high kicks are going to be money against a southpaw fighter. But it's an MMA match. Anything can happen. I thought uh, Gaslam was going to get totally technically outstruck against Izzy, and he managed to turn that into a really nerve-wracking five-round back-and-forth match, hurting Izzy twice. So Gaslam definitely has the power in his hands to make it interesting. The clinch work from close could go his way if uh, Whitaker isn't in all the right places and perfect. You saw Heinisch in the last fight against Gaslam try and implement his own grappling, and Gaslam was able to reverse position and get to a more dominant one every time. I mean, Whitaker, like GSPS-esque in mm-hmm. no formal wrestling background, but just being a great athlete and having a great sport IQ is a great wrestler and competed for australia in the past so some i'm hoping to see a couple grappling exchanges to see the difference between those two there but yeah i i'm hoping to see a showcase from whitaker the no one's stopped gaslam yet izzy got very very close but didn't so put a stamp on that um contender run to earn a title shot and do something no one's done show off the tactics show the improvement since the Adesanya lost because he did get into trouble just rushing in there and getting caught so show you can do that and not get caught against a dangerous striker and you should have this title shot in the bag so looking forward to that performance and see what's to come from Whitaker also, we'll definitely have to check out the highlights replays of the Askren-Paul boxing match. But I've said everything I've got to say on that. So should be a good weekend for combat. We're back. I hope your back it is doing great, Owen, because you're going to have to carry the rest of this podcast and perhaps a few more.
0: All right. Uh, I I am up for the challenge. And I will start... In the baseball segment of this podcast, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are a team that is four and two against the New York Yankees, which you love, uh, but they are two and five against everyone else that they've played so far. Uh, they lose last night to the Kansas City Royals, um, tried to make their way back, tough loss. Uh, you take it. And you just keep moving on. That's how baseball goes. The season is just endless. Kind of a couple takeaways from the Yankees series. Uh, Hunjin Ryu with another quality start. This guy is just an ace, period. Uh, He's made nine quality starts in his 15 total starts for the Blue Jays over his tenure so far, uh, which is really, really great. Um, It's just such a nice, piece of like relaxation for the managers knowing you don't have to expend the bullpen on that day um, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero jr. Have been the two hottest hitters on the team really loved the approach I've been seeing from them Bo Bichette with the massive game uh, three hits in the walk-off homework to win the Yankees series uh, on on Wednesday and that is huge. You just love the salty Yankees tears. They are last in the uh, AL East right now, which you just love to see. Um, and Vladimir Grow Jr., great offensively. The thing I'd, I'd say defensively that really freaks me out is when he's playing first base, no matter what play it is, he is always stretching way too far uh, to make the play at first base. Like he, It seems like he does the splits every time there's a play to first which I appreciate the effort that he's trying to give his guys the best chance to get the out. He's stretching out. He's attacking the baseball at first base, but he's going to hurt himself. Like I swear every time there's a double play or anything, he's like falling off the base after he makes the catch, like stretching out. So I'm just worried about the injury risk there, but uh, so far so good. He's been saying solid. The reason why I worry about injuries is I'm going to quickly read you off the Toronto Blue Jays current DL or I guess IL, it's called now the injured list. Kevin Biggio last night uh, took a line drive off of his hand uh, in the game against Kansas City. The x-rays have come back negative, which is great, so probably just a bruise he might be out for a day or two. Uh, Also on on the injured list, Jordan Romano, Ross Stripling, Julian Merriweather, David Phelps, Tyler Chatwood, Thomas Hatch, George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Nate Pearson, and of course Kirby Yates who we lost for the season at the beginning, but the Jays like, that is key, key bullpen pitchers, your best offense or your best like fielder in, in George Springer uh, last, uh, last year's silver slugger winner in Teoscar Hernandez, your current closer, Julian Merriweather. Um, and then of course, now your everyday third baseman, Kevin Biggio might miss a little bit of time, just, decimated by injuries this early to start the season. And the fact that this team is six and seven with all of those key, key injuries is just something you got to take a deep breath and say, okay, let's get a little bit healthier. And of course there's always going to be injuries throughout the season and every team's going to deal with it. The Jays are probably going to get a couple more. And as they bring guys back, but it's just like, especially who's been injured. Some of these really like, especially George Springer, that's so key. Uh, I think the ceiling on this team is a lot higher And so you got to feel fairly satisfied at six and seven right now because you've seen some good stuff from guys, of course, like Ryu, Steven Matz, um, and Julian Merriweather before he was injured. But then Bo and Vladdy have been the really big bright spots so far uh, on this season. I think there's a lot of room to improve here for the Jays. So hopefully they can do that moving forward. I think once people start getting healthy, Tanner Roark needs to be gone from this team because he's making a ton of money and so far he's been really brutal. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, the other thing that I just wanted to talk about this week, another no hitter thrown that's two already in the young season, white Sox pitcher caller Carlos Rodon, uh, throws a no, no against Cleveland. Uh, and I feel like we might see a couple more no hitters as the, uh, era of the strikeout continues to, Increase. It's, it's a lot of uh, all or nothing baseball right now uh, with hitters, a lot of home run guys and a lot of strikeout guys. And uh, we've seen recently news that the MLB is going to be experimenting, moving the mound back a couple of feet um, in the Atlantic minor baseball league, Uh, just to see if you move that mound back, it gives hitters just that extra split second, which means so much in baseball Uh, could increase the offense. Um, and could balance things out so it's not just a ton of guys throwing 100 getting a ton of strikeouts like we're seeing right now. And the last uh, piece of information, just get excited, baseball fans. If you are hardcore seam head, then you are going to be looking forward for our very first matchup uh, series between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres taking place starting tonight and going through the weekend. Uh, These are the two best teams, I think, in all of baseball. And they're in the same division. And so we will get to see them play many, many times this season. And this is just the first round of what expects to be an awesome uh, series of games between these two. Uh, Of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. is injured right now with the shoulder injury. So that's a big piece missing for San Diego. Uh, But they've still been, I think they're 9-5 and right now in the season. So still off to a good start. And this will be an interesting and, match up. and if you're a baseball fan, this is the game you got to tune into uh, tonight and through the weekend. That's it for baseball. Uh, we'll take a quick break and come back for some basketball.
1: And we're back. Um, basketball storylines. Let's get at it.
0: Yeah, the story of this week kind of dominated by two kind of brutal, I guess, injuries. You would call them health concerns is, is another way of putting it. Uh, I'm going to start with the. Announcement of retirement by LaMarcus Aldridge and shocking the NBA, uh, I guess universe. Um, no one was really expecting it, but news coming out that he was, uh, experiencing a heartbeat irregularity during the game. He could feel it while he was playing, uh, and knew that this is a very dangerous thing that you cannot take a risk with. And so really, really sad, um, and really hoping that he's going to be all right. And he had to retire uh, from the nets and kind of cap off. What was a really, really fantastic career, Uh, seven time all-star five time, all NBA people forget that this guy, like the early 2010s, like he made the 2010s um, all NBA teams when they made them, I think he was on the third team, but especially those early 2010s, this guy was a bucket just automatic from that left block, uh, I think he's around 18,000 points for his career, like really, really successful, just missing that championship, which he was really hoping he could make a run towards this season Uh, and just really, really upsetting that this is the way it's got to end for him. Very similar to like Chris Bosch, just some health concerns you just can't control. And he's definitely making the right decision to, for his family. Uh, And congratulations, LA on a fantastic career. It's been really fun to watch. He's, he's a guy I think who was just a little bit, he was, he was just too late to the party. I think if he had been drafted 10 years earlier, uh, he would have been one of the top, top guys, but he just, his game drafted into a time at the beginning, he was perfect. And now as the NBA game has moved towards pace and space, threes, perimeter centric offenses, uh, he became a dying breed and and that's kind of why Brooklyn was so interested in him is he provided a different look no one's able to stop low post moves anymore because no one has them or no one uses them because it's inefficient and so uh, a guy who may be a little bit outside the times but especially those early 2010s really productive so congrats LA on a great career um, and hopefully, hopefully he can get that figured out and, and have a long, healthy life and still be a part of the NBA in some other way, if that's what he desires. Another really upsetting uh, injury this week, Jamal Murray, of course, our our beloved Canadian kid tearing his ACL against the Golden State Warriors. He's, of course, done for the season, done for the playoffs, probably won't be back until a little bit into the season. Also means he's done for the Olympic run, possibly with Canada, which is like devastating for us here who are really hoping to see a full strength Canadian squad show what they could do. Um, so hoping that he has a speedy recovery and ACL is not as devastating as it used to be. Uh, it's something that can be rehabbed really, really well nowadays. Um, so hopefully he comes back stronger and, and committed because this Denver Nuggets team made the big move to get Aaron Gordon. They were a team that was looking to really make noise in the playoffs uh, and now you really wonder if if they have that ceiling anymore when they're missing a guy who could put up fifty in a playoff game. So really tough injury, and and that's yeah, just a tough blow for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and and you could see them; they had a great win against Miami the other night, but you could see them sliding a little bit in those standings. Uh, so it'd be interesting to follow what happens now after losing Jamal. All right, let's let's talk about some some. Brighter stuff, shall we? Uh, Lugens Dort, another Canadian. The Dortcher Chamber puts up 42 uh, points on Tuesday. I think he had 22 in the first half uh, or in the first quarter. And everyone was going, oh, my God, Dortcher Chamber for 88. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, love love the guy. He, of course, is at like a defensive stalwart um, and showing that he's got a little bit of offensive game as Oklahoma city continues to run out lineups of people that casual NBA fans have never heard of uh, and continue to be productive. We get to see them in action against our Toronto Raptors coming up on Sunday. Um, so it should be interesting to see that there. Uh, and speaking of those Raptors, they keep pulling me back in, Max. They keep pulling me back in uh, Malachi Flynn has continued to develop he's been fantastic defensively really active hands I've already said a lot of this Ken Birch such a breath of fresh air compared to what we've been getting from Boucher and Baines defensively and even a little bit offensively like he had a couple of blocks the other day just looks so much more athletic and and can stay with guys in the paint Um, and he doesn't just shoot threes that, that Aaron Baines' threes, when they miss, hurt even more than normal people because it just, you just, I don't know, the brick resonates through your body when he puts it up because he goes, he does this like crazy push shot and it just clunk and you feel it, like it physically hurts. Uh, But Ken Birch doesn't shoot those threes. Uh, He's starting to develop a little bit of chemistry with the point guards. Of course, it's been tough with Raptors management trying to tank, sitting Kyle, sitting Fred. Uh, sitting OG, sitting Pascal, and they have still managed to steal a couple games uh, this last couple weeks. So it's been nice to see some of those bench guys really hustle and uh, a huge win against the San Antonio Spurs. They are now only one game behind the Chicago Bulls. And with Zach Levine entering COVID protocols, so he'll be missing at least 10 days, huge opportunity for the Raptors to maybe squeak by the Bulls into that play-in tournament, which is... Long-term outlook, maybe not what you want as a franchise, but keeps the playoff streak alive, right? And gives fans something to cheer for because you got to think that if this team gets healthy, they're definitely better than all those teams in the play-in tournament, you would think. So just really interesting to see what, like, when this team is fully healthy and now you've got an actual productive center in Kem Birch, maybe they could actually do something in the play-in tournament and get into that official playoffs and then see if you could make a little bit
1: of noise. I mean, who are the teams the- they lost to this past week? The Hawks, the Knicks. So
0: those are the, those are the teams, right, in the play-in, who will probably be around that seven seed. Um, I think the Hawks game especially was just poor effort. Like Gary Trent and OG were kind of taking over and trying to get their own shots, which was really weird to see because they're normally not like that. But yeah, and Gary Trent was another guy who missed the game against San Antonio, and the Raptors somehow still managed to pull it out. Like just Flynn, Birch, and then they got some great bench play from Utah Watanabe, Paul Watson Jr., Freddie Gillespie, this 10 day guy. Uh, very similar. You can't have him and Birch on at the same time. But if you run kind of uh, Birch Pascal, Gillespie Boucher, any combination of kind of those two switch back and forth, like Birch and Gillespie provide you very similar gameplay uh, and Gillespie goes up blocks Demar at the rim. Uh, but then he gets dunked on by uh banks later on still, he's willing to challenge and uh, he's a big dude. So he sets good screens and uh, has given them a ton of energy on the offensive glass as well, which I really liked. So really interesting to see that now you're getting production out of this bench. Uh, and maybe if they get healthy, they could do something. They keep pulling me back in. I don't want to be pulled in. Every time they lose, it's like, all right, tank for a top five pick. And when, every time they win, it's like, oh, they're right there. They're right there. So it's, it's not the best spot to be in. But yeah, they're, they're uh, wavering, vacillating back and forth between being a lottery team and being a team that maybe, hey, you could do something in the, in the play-in tournament. So yeah, that's the story of being a Raptors fan right now. Uh, let's move over to the Western Conference where we get to talk about two absolute studs Luka Doncic, did you see this highlight? The floater, three-pointer, game-winner, buzzer reader. Just ridiculous stuff from him. Continues to be an absolute magician. Um, He had some comments this week about not actually being a fan of the play-in tournament uh, because he's been, of course, working his butt off all season and he's rewarded with having to play extra games to just get into the playoffs. My response to that is everyone agreed to it at the beginning of the season. And if you don't like it, win more games. Or if you are in that playing tournament, you only have to win one. The two teams that are trying to steal your spot right now as a seventh seed have to win two. So just win. That's all i got to say to Luca. And he's a guy that, like, of course, he's going to suck it up and play. Um, Yeah, so looking forward to see what he can do down the stretch. And maybe with, of course, the unfortunate injury of Jamal Murray and the Lakers still being uh, unsure of when their two big guys are coming back, maybe – Dallas can jump up the standings a little bit, also chasing Portland there as well, and maybe jump into that six seed so they don't have to play in the play in tournament. It's also the last team I want.
1: Well, it's an, I was going to say it's an unfortunate season to uh, test the play in tournament when you already have that condensed schedule. So those concerns have already been amplified, and that's what it's coming off the back of. I think Mark Cuban, the Mavericks owner, said something similar within the past week yeah that's all the
0: other main yeah the other major storyline with the schedule is the frequency of injuries is now really starting to gear up uh because you've had teams that have missed time due to covid and now they're playing a ton of games and a ton of nights i know the grizzlies the spurs uh i can't even name some of the other teams but just those two stuck out to me they're playing like six games and nine nights seven games and 12 nights like really really condensed schedules, and that puts a huge toll on on your body. And, and that's why, like, James Harden, uh, Anthony Davis, Lamar James, all these guys with injuries, teams are being extra, extra cautious in bringing them back. Um, and so as long as you can stay out of that play-in tournament, they're going to be really hesitant to bring back their big guys until uh, they are healthy. And uh, the condensed schedule is a big part to play in that. All right, let's get to the last team I want to talk about, the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry has been an absolute inferno, like arsonist, uh, surface of Jupiter or the sun, uh, just like whatever the hottest thing you can imagine. That is what he is right now. He is averaging 39 points per game in the month of April. (laughs) And that is over... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. He's averaging 39 points. He had another 33 last night against Cleveland in their win. Um, they now jump into a tie with San Antonio in their spot. I think that's the uh, nine spot in the Western Conference uh, with the Pelicans, just a, a game and a half behind both of them. So it's going to be really tight down the stretch, those three. But right now, Golden State's in a good groove. Uh, kind of weird that it, it times up with the uh, injury to James Wiseman and him no longer playing minutes. It feels like they've been trying to force him in to their system and he's more of a pick and roll type guy. Uh, and so now without having to worry about forcing Wiseman into that system, the Warriors can really go back to that movement style of play that they use. They use the least amount of pick and roll and uh, Steph's been thriving. Draymond's been thriving uh, and uh. Like Kevon Looney has been the guy that I mean, he's not he's maybe a below average center by all means, but he fits better with the style they've been in because he's been on the team for quite a few years. And so they've experienced a little bit more success against, of course, a weaker point of the schedule. But you need to win these games if you're going to jump into that play in tournament. The last guy I want to talk about is Juan Toscano Anderson, who emerged last year when it was basically a G League team for the Warriors uh, a guy who came and, and uh, of course, and played with a ton of energy, ton of grit, um, kind of just a fun guy to cheer for. And last night, he had 17 points on seven to seven field goals, six rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block in 24 minutes off the bench. Uh, he's now 24 for 55 from three this season, which is almost 50%. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and just, Happy for him that he's been able, it's one of those stories where you just work your butt off and you get a spot on the team and he's found a role on this team. Uh, He'll solidify along. He's kind of one of those glue guys that you want to have when you're looking to make a championship run, right? Uh, And that is what the Warriors need if they're going to get clay back and if they're going to maybe have another top pick uh, if the Minnesota Timberwolves pick doesn't finish in the top three. um, That maybe they'll trade for another superstar. We'll see. But yeah, the Warriors looking for a guy like this and happy for Juan. He's been excellent and uh, provided them a ton of energy. And just one of those guys that maybe gets underappreciated in the mainstream view of the NBA. But I wanted to shout him out here. Uh, So shout out to to Juan. He's been doing great. All right. That's going to wrap up all the time we have for basketball. We'll take one final break, talk a little bit of footy, and then we'll wrap things up.
1: All right. I'm not going to butcher a British accent, but go ahead and talk some footy.
0: (laughs) All right. First, we will start with the Champions League quarterfinals. uh, Leg two action, always really exciting. And I will kick off with the PSG-Bayern game, uh, which I watched the second half of. And somehow, PSG did not score in that game. Um, They had a couple of posts, a couple of crazy chances. Mbappe, really surprising that he doesn't get on the score sheet because he is just an absolute wizard, and Neymar as well, and Di Maria, they all had chances in this game. Neymar had should have had a hat-trick, uh, but PSG doesn't score, but they still hang on, uh, only giving up one goal to Bayern uh, and winning on aggregate uh, overall. So PSG is through. Uh, Porto scores really late in their match against uh, against Chelsea, But again, they lose on aggregate two to one. So Chelsea is through the game that I was most intensely tuned into, of course, uh, with my housemate being a Dortmund fan. I don't know how many times I'm going to mention it, but uh, probably not so much anymore with my moving starting today and also Dortmund being knocked out by Manchester City in this quarterfinal. Uh, Another controversial moment that screws over Dortmund again. Of course, you had the Jude Bellingham goal that was called back for a uh, ghost foul. And then, of course, in this game, a cross goes into the box, and Emre uh, Chan heads the ball and has his arm out to the side, and the ball goes off his head, then off of his arm uh, is called a handball. Then on VAR review is confirmed as a handball. And now I'm still not super familiar with the handball rule anymore and how it stands, but based on the reactions that I was seeing from commentators, Uh, from people online is that that is not considered a handball if it went off his head first. Uh, And so it looks like Dorman gets screwed again, penalty awarded, uh, gets put home. And then it was, uh, (laughs) it was tight, right? It was one, one in that game. Uh, Dorman had scored early on in Jude Bellingham goal. He was fantastic in both of these legs really, really well uh, played from him because he's just so young I think he's 18. Um, and Dorman kind of pushing, struggling to generate law offense, and then Phil Foden comes through again. He did it in the first leg, scoring in the 90th minute. Comes through again with an absolute rocket of a shot off of the corner, uh, and Man City clutches victory with that one. Like it, Dorman needed one more goal to take the lead back, um, and then Man City with that one meant Dortmund had to score two or three more in the last 10 minutes and, and really put it away. Uh, so it feel, you feel bad for Dortmund fans because two of those controversial moments could have really swung the tide in this matchup, uh, but they get kind of screwed and Man City is through. Uh, and then Real Madrid and Liverpool, after a 3-1 result for Real, they play to a draw in this one. Uh, Mo Salah really like a no-show in this game. Uh, and Liverpool just couldn't really create any offense. They had a really solid defensive match, and uh, something, I guess, to build on going forward for them is this was one of the better matches they played in a while. They just couldn't generate any offense, Uh, and so Real Madrid is through, and it's a really uninteresting Final Four in the Champions League, kind of the four uh, big-money teams from different uh, leagues. The Oil Clasico is set between Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City, uh, the two oil giants, how they make all their money. Uh, And then, of course, you've got Chelsea and Real Madrid, which are the class of the English and the Spanish leagues. So uh, four favorites, I guess you would say. Um, But you know it's going to be really high-level football, which is what I'm excited for, moving forward into the semis of the Champions League. Moving on to the... uh, I guess the Dollarama store version of Champions League Concacaf here in North America. Uh, Toronto FC starts their brand new season with the brand new manager, with a team missing uh, Josie Altidore and Alejandro Pazuelo, probably their two top players. Like a lot of young guns, and they go, they come back to Toronto after having drawn in the first leg, and they beat the. Uh, last year's Mexican league champions club Leon and a huge, huge victory for them. 2-1 um, result. Mullins tomorrow with the goals. Uh, that second one was really, really big. And you could see them playing really hard for the new manager. Um, they hang on for dear life. Club Leon scores late and they were pressing the last 10 minutes. There was chippiness uh, guys getting frustrated on fouls, kicking the ball away. You had, um, a, a, a injury to a TFC player, and rather than throwing the ball back to TFC, Club León just decided to maintain possession, which is not something you see. And and like the people on TFC's bench were freaking out when it happened. Really, really upsetting moment. Uh, but they managed to hang on Bono with a huge save in the 90th minute, and a huge upset and a big. Big win for not just TFC, but MLS as a whole, because an MLS team has not won this new iteration of the CONCACAF Champions League. Of course, TFC came close a couple of years ago, making it to the final, losing to Club America. Um, But maybe this will be the year that an MLS team finally gets the Champions League trophy uh, and TFC is in the mix as they move on to the quarterfinals. Finally, uh, After that great result on champions league, the TFC will kick off their MLS season starting tomorrow. Uh, Looking forward to that Toronto sports in full swing. uh, And we will be here to bring it all for you coming up on the next podcast. Uh, Thanks everyone so much for listening. Uh, Take some time. Check out YouTube. Max's Khabib video is absolutely killing it for us. So definitely, if you have any takes there, put them in the comments there and uh, continue to listen, share it with your friends. We really appreciate the support and we will continue to pump out pods despite the chaos in our personal lives as we move uh, from location to location, max, especially with the big move to Montreal coming up. I'll leave it to you, my friend.
1: Respect your goats, sports next door, signing out. (laughs)